guys, welcome to 1000 Words. I am so excited that you guys are here and we have a lot of fun things going on today. First, it is our first official episode of 1000 Words. And second, we have our first guest on the podcast. Her name is Miss Anita Scarborough. She is 20 years old and she is a student at the University of Georgia. She loves to travel, she loves yoga, she loves coffee, and my favorite fun fact about her is that she's also my roommate. So Anita, we're so glad you're here as our first official guest on the podcast. Mara, I am so excited to be here. So fun, so honored to be the first person on the podcast. So excited. Like I said before, Anita loves to travel, and she actually did a study abroad with the University of Georgia this past summer. And I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but Anita, tell us about your photo that you have. So my photo was a picture of me in Morocco. And so one weekend while I was studying abroad in Spain, I decided that I really wanted to go to Morocco and decided to string along a a few of my friends to come with me. And so this picture is me standing on a big rock looking at the mountains of Morocco. We actually took this picture on the side of the road. We were driving in a taxi to a waterfall hike that's about 30 minutes away from Chef Shawin, which is the blue pearl of Morocco. And on the way there, we saw these mountains and we decided we had to get out and take a picture to capture this awesome moment. And that picture is literally me just standing looking in awe at the mountains because they're absolutely incredible. Give me a little bit of a description of this landscape because it does not look like U.S. soil whatsoever. Not at all. So the area that we were in, Chef Shawin, which is where we were staying most of the time, is about three hours away from the coast of Morocco that's next to Spain. And so it's way up in the mountains and it's kind of deserty. There's a lot of desert and lots of people with their goats and all their horses and their cows. And it's pretty much just desert and some trees and brush and mountains. It's pretty crazy. Okay, Anita, you said that you were in Spain before you went to Morocco. What on earth made you want to go from Spain to Morocco? So I was in Spain originally because I'm studying Spanish and French at the University of Georgia. And so I really wanted to go to Spain to get better at Spanish and to kind of get to know the culture a little bit more. Um... And I really, as Mara said a couple times, love to travel, love a new adventure. I had been to Uganda before with my church, but had really wanted to explore other parts of Africa because the people there are so kind and so welcoming. And just the culture is completely different than Spain or America or anywhere I've ever been. And so I had heard a couple people the year before had gone to Morocco and decided that I really wanted to make it happen again this year. I love that. And so obviously, like, someone had to take the picture of you. So who all was here with you on this trip? So I convinced six of my friends to come along to Morocco with me. And then one of my friends who I actually met at a Young Life camp about four years ago, and she's been my travel buddy since then. And so we had explored Spain together. We had gone on a bunch of road trips. And she was studying in Madrid while I was in the southern part of Spain. And so I called her and told her I was going to Morocco and she hopped on a bus and came down to Morocco with us. So this was our third continent together. So I'm pretty sure it's my friend Claire that took the picture. Oh my gosh. So Claire did not need a ton of convincing, did she? She did not. Nope. She hopped right on the bus and came down there. That's awesome. Did y'all get to explore it all after you took this picture? Not this area, sadly, but the area that we were going afterwards was a waterfall hike. 
which was actually beautiful, super green. Um, lots of people with their donkeys, which was really fun. And it was basically this gigantic river with all of these huge waterfalls and all these giant rock formations, kind of like Zion National Park um, in the United States in Arizona. And so it was a lot like that when it was just a lot of waterfalls. And we actually climbed up these gigantic rocks and jumped probably 40 or 50 feet into the water at the waterfalls. We know a little something about Zion National Park. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to tell that story? Yeah. So another time I convinced a bunch of my friends to go on a trip with me, I convinced at that point my future roommates, so me, Mara, and two of our other friends, to go on a road trip out west with me. Um, It was about 30 degrees and... I had booked a campsite at Zion National Park and it was beautiful and the sunset was perfect and there was a little bit of snow and then we absolutely froze our tails off sleeping in a tent at Zion National Park. I had about 30 hand warmers in my sleeping bag and was shaking, but it was awesome. 10 out of 10 recommend. She's being kind. What she doesn't mention (laughs) is the fact that The rest of us ditched Anita because we were all supposed to go hiking on Angel's Landing. One of the most dangerous hikes in the United States. Yeah. And so, like she said, there's snow and ice on the ground. And so when we were in the Grand Canyon, I did not do well with the snow and ice. And so immediately I got like discarded from going on this hike. And so the rest of us were feeling really tired because we were on a, what was it, an eight day trip. And like 5,000 miles in eight days, which is insane. We left at like four in the morning and drove to Texas in one day, which is crazy. But anyways, so Zion was towards the end of the trip. And so Anita went on this hike by herself. And so while Anita was on her hike, the rest (laughs) of us took a nap and then made quesadillas at the campsite. I don't know if we told you this, but we actually drove outside of the park And so Anita has like this national park pass, but we didn't have the pass. So we were going to have to pay like $40 to get back into the (laughs) campsite. But the national park lady was really, really nice and let us back in. But we had a heart attack for a second. (laughs) I tried to fake being Anita Scarborough until they asked me, how do you spell Scarborough? And (laughs) I was like, oh, crap. I don't know. Yeah, that did happen. But the hike was awesome. It was definitely steep and slippery. And I did have spikes on my shoes. And a couple times I almost slid off the path because the path is about two feet wide and it was covered in ice and snow. And so while they were making quesadillas, I was risking my life for the story, which ended up being a pretty epic one. That's pretty awesome. Okay, back to Morocco. But how on earth did you get from Spain? To Morocco? That is a really great question. So my original genius plan was to fly to um, Marrakesh, which is the capital of Morocco, because it was only about a $90 flight from Sevilla, Spain, to Tangier, or to Marrakesh. And so I was like, perfect. Like, I found a hostel for about $7. We'll just do that. But then overnight, the flights went up to about $500. So I was like, oh, we will not be doing that for a weekend trip. Yes, this was over a weekend. And so I basically spent like a week and a half crafting this master plan of how to get to Chef Jowen from Sevilla. And so I'll just start from the beginning. Basically, we had to get on a train that would take us 
all the way up to Cordoba, Spain, and then all the way over to Malaga, Spain. From Malaga, we had to get on a bus that would take us to Gibraltar um, because that's where we were staying the first night. We actually went and hiked the Rock of Gibraltar, but you can't get across the border in a bus or in a taxi. You have to walk because it's technically the Gibraltar is part of the United Kingdom. So you have to walk. So the bus dropped us off and then we walked across the border oh my gosh. Um, with actually an entire thing of pizza that we had just bought, which was <laughs> awesome. And then we realized there were no taxis in all of Gibraltar. So then we had to walk at about 11 p.m. at night around the dark streets of Gibraltar. Um, and then the next morning we had to walk up to the rock, which was another couple miles, walk all the way down. And then we took a bus that we found that took us to the border of Gibraltar again, walked across the border again, and then booked it to this train station. So I had found this train station online. There was like a very sketchy website and like a blurry picture of what was supposed to be the train station or the bus station. So I didn't tell my friends that I wasn't sure if it existed or not. I was hoping that it existed. Oh my gosh. But if it didn't, then we would just simply miss all of our other things and we would not have made it. So I was like begging on the fact that it was actually there. So we like book it to the station. It exists. Thank goodness. And so the lady at the desk tells us to run because the bus is leaving. And so then we run, run, run. We get on the bus and then the lady holds out her hand, the bus driver. And it's about $17 or euros for all of us to go. And then I look at all my friends who look at all each other and realize we have no cash. Um, so we started dumping out all of our bags, trying to find spare coins to add up to $17. And this is while the lady, the bus driver, is yelling at us that we have to leave, that we're making her so late, that she's so mad. So we're dumping out all of our bags, like scrapping together coins. And after probably five or six minutes, we get enough coins, hand them to the bus driver, and the entire bus bursts into applause because they've been watching us try to find coins for no. the past five minutes. So we get on the bus. It takes us 45 minutes to um, a port that I'm blanking on the name, but another port in Spain. And then we have to get on a ferry. That's Sorry, this is a very long explanation. <laughs> that we have to get on a ferry that's going to take us across the border to Morocco. And so... We had to make it on time to the ferry, and the ferry had to be on time. Otherwise, we were going to miss our last bus to Morocco, and there was going to be no way for us to get to the city we were trying to get to. And so we, like, get to the bus for ex or to the ferry. We've been exhausted. We've been walking around all day, and then we all just fall asleep. And then I wake up about an hour and a half later and realize the ferry hasn't moved. So the ferry had been delayed for almost two hours. No. And I failed to mention they didn't let one of my friends on the ferry. So he had to get on a different ferry by himself, which was terrifying. What? Why did they not let him get on? They said he didn't book it through the right website, which didn't make a lot of sense because we all had the exact same ticket. Wow. And so he was just solo on a ferry going to Morocco. But so then we get on the ferry the ferry finally leaves we end up getting to Tangier which is the border of um kind of on the border of the coast of Morocco and we've missed our bus like there's no way for us to get to Chef Shawin and so we walk out of the the port and nobody speaks English we can't find anybody to help us we're trying to figure out if there's any hotels but basically we're at a different port called Tangier port and we're 45 minutes away from any hotel there's no way to get anywhere 
And so we walk out of the port and I'm kind of freaking out. My friends don't really know the extent of the situation because they thought that I had it all under control. So they're like all chill. And yeah, you're they're like so excited. Internally. Like, I can't wait. And I'm like, mm, yeah. Internally, you're like, oh, man. Oh, man. Yep. yep. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And so we walk out and I we come face to face with these 12 like big guys, these taxi drivers. And so they see us and I try to go speak to them and ask them if they can maybe give us a ride to this town that's three hours away. Like I had no idea if they were going to take us. And so they didn't understand anything I was saying afterwards. I realized they only spoke Arabic. And so they saw that we had business and they wanted to um, basically get our money and get our business. So they started fighting each other and punching each other to the ground to see who could get us in their taxi. You're joking. And at this point, the sun is going down. Like it's almost dark. We can't speak Arabic. They don't speak English. And my friends are sort of starting to realize that we're in quite the predicament. Um, and so after probably 15 minutes of like trying to communicate, trying to use Google Translate, but not having service, the sun is going down. This one guy like walks out of the port and he speaks Spanish. And so I speak Spanish and loosely. I speak Spanish loosely. <laughs> <laughs> and so he ends up being able to talk to us and then talk to the drivers in Arabic and ends up being able to drive us three hours away to the city of Chef Shawin. Wow, so we what made a guy. It. We made it. It was just like, I just get like, oh, the thought of thinking back on it is just so stressful, but that it was so awesome. That is crazy. So what would you have done if you, if that man didn't show up? Um, honestly, I have no idea. We had considered sleeping on the floor of the port but then figured that probably wasn't the safest idea. Um, but the problem is you have to set the price before you go of how much the taxi will cost. Oh. And so if we had just gone with the taxi driver, like told them the name of where we wanted to go, then they could have potentially, one, taken us to the wrong place, which would have been bad, or they could have totally ripped us off hypothetically because we wouldn't have been able to give them a certain price of how much it would have cost. Wow. That's so opposite. Like you telling them how much that's so strange like that is so strange there's normally like an approximate set price and sometimes you can negotiate a little bit so I honestly don't even remember how much it was and it wasn't a crazy amount I think we all paid twenty dollars each to get three hours away in the taxi so it wasn't crazy at all um but if the man who had that didn't speak Spanish hadn't shown up then we just would have been stranded <laughs> that's crazy I'm terrible with geography and also just, like, the conception of time. <laughs> so, one, how long did it take you guys to get from, I guess, where you were in Spain to Morocco? And then how many miles is that? Like, how far away is that? Um, It took us a long time because we took, like, 5,000 different types of transportation. But you can fly there in an hour. Like, you can fly from oh. Spain to... There's not an airport in Chefchaouen, but if you flew to maybe the capital, it was like an hour and a half, and you probably could have gotten a taxi that was like two hours away. So not very long. In terms of miles, I have absolutely no idea. I'm terrible with numbers and geography like that. But it really wasn't that far. Like, we got a return flight from Tangier, which is that border area, back to Spain for nine euros, which was awesome. Wow. And it was like a 45-minute flight. Yeah, but then if you take the flight, then, like, you don't have the fun story. Exactly. And, and you wouldn't be here, so. Exactly. <laughs> so, Anita has a blog. 
It's called Anita Bell Blogs, and it is the coolest thing ever. It just shares a story, honestly, of college experiences, travel experiences, um, and budgeted travel experiences. How do you find those budgeted, like, I guess, deals? Um, That's an awesome question. So, honestly, the blog started because, again, as I've said about 10 times, I love to travel, but I'm also in college and have no money. Um, All my money comes from babysitting for very long hours. (laughs) And so... (laughs) At this point, it's either don't travel or travel and eat peanut butter and jelly for your meals and find really cheap hostels. Um, and so that's basically how it started. I, I'm trying to think the first trip I went on. The Probably the first biggest budget travel trip I went on was our road trip this spring um, where I had to find cheap places to stay, free places to stay. And that kind of introduced me to the idea of like what would it look like to travel the world like that yeah, and be eating things that you're bringing or things that you buy on the side of the road for $3. And so when I went to Europe this summer, I backpacked to Europe for six weeks and I really had to get to know like, okay, this hotel costs $300, but this hostel costs $20. So is that worth it? Like, is it going to be safe enough? Is it going to be clean enough? And am I going to have Wi-Fi? So kind of just learning to figure out what is worth paying for and what's not worth paying for. Mm -hmm. And most of the time it's not worth paying for. And then just learning to be super low maintenance with all of that. Yeah, that's fun. And it's like, this is the only time that you really hopefully have to do really budgeted trips. And like, I guess it's just fun. Like when we went on our trip, it was so much fun. And we scheduled out our meals, what we would be cooking where we would be, where we would be staying a few times. Actually, the first time (laughs) it fell through a little bit, but I feel like we did pretty good. Other than my REI splurge. Oh, my gosh. Right before. Oh, my gosh. I mean, seriously, Anita wasn't with me, but I got so, like, (laughs) needed to prepare for our trip. And so I, like, went to REI and ended up spending $300 in REI in just gear, like, hiking boots that I just didn't need and then a jacket and I don't even know like I don't know what on earth like what else there were but yeah I had told them originally I sent them a packing list but I think a couple people were a little nervous about it being 30 degrees and also they're potentially being ice on the road so I freaked them out a little too much when I texted that we needed to buy spikes for our shoes and chains for our car tires and they (laughs) started to freak (laughs) out a little bit they started to freak out and then Mara spent $300 in REI thankfully she returned some of it I I did I did I also got a membership (laughs) I'm not gonna say I got scammed into a membership but they definitely harped on it in a point of weakness for me <laughs> I was I was in a vulnerable state <laughs> so I bought the membership that's okay that's all right this is not a sponsorship but 10% off at the end of the year for REI stuff so I mean what can I say <laughs> I also wanted to ask you about this taxi driver who kind of showed up and saved the day for the unknown if we didn't have a plan after the travel experiences in Morocco. So I read your blog and (laughs) in your blog, I think the title was Jesus in Morocco. And you mentioned how the taxi driver just kind of like sat and listened to you as you were kind of experiencing this like really hectic situation and how he just sat and listened to you and heard you and understood you and saw you. And 
I want to go more into that. Explain that a little bit more for me. Yeah, totally. Um, so, again, like I said earlier, there was just a crowd of taxi drivers. None of them spoke English. And I was obviously um, feeling a little hectic, feeling a little frantic. And that definitely I wear all my emotions right on my face. So I'm sure that he saw exactly what I was feeling. Um, and so, yeah, he kind of just walked up to me. And I was like, hola, like, hablo español, like, do you speak English? Do you speak, I speak a little bit of French. I was like, do you speak French? Do you speak Spanish? Like, and so he responds in this very broken Spanish. Um, but just like, I think one, just like praising God for the ability to learn another language and to be able to communicate with him. Yeah. Um, and just kind of break a language barrier is just so incredible. And it blows me away every time I'm able to speak to someone in another language. Um, but also just him sitting and kind of just listening to all of my like, we made it to our bus. We made it to our ferry. Like, we're just trapped. We're stranded. I don't know what to do. And just him being like, hey, like, I got you. I, you know, I can help you out um, was really awesome. And then just on the taxi drive to Morocco, him telling us about his family, him telling us about some of the history of Morocco, again, with my broken Spanish and his broken Spanish. Um, but just getting to listen to his life story, tell him a little bit of mine, tell him, telling us about his family it was just a really, really cool experience. Um, and just something that I think we can all take away from is it doesn't matter if you look different or if you speak different um, or if you live on different continents. I think there's just a really cool way to be able to have relationships with people regardless of language, regardless of race, regardless of religion. And I think that was a really big takeaway. I think I was a little bit convicted by how many things that I skip over when people are talking to me when they're stressed, when they're frantic. And I'm like, you're fine. Like, you're good. Like, you're mm -hmm. good, girl. You got it. But just this man who didn't know me, who I'm never going to see again, who barely spoke the same language as me, taking the time to listen to me was just something that was really, really cool. And I think I'll remember forever. Yeah. And just like the value in that and the fact that you really didn't know him, but no. <laughs> he did what he was patient with you and he did take the time to listen to you. And so like in our own friendships, our own relationships, how much more influential and impactful that can be just by listening to someone, even if it's like, I had this crazy test day today and I literally did not move and just studied all day. Like that, that's important. That's important too. And so it's cool to see that cross-culturally, like see how that is important everywhere. Yeah. And I think it's really cool because sometimes I feel like we kind of limit Christianity to America and not not just limit it, but feel like a lot of the traits of Jesus are shown in our friends and our little Christian bubbles, which is true. But I think it's also really cool how the Lord kind of implements his nature into people around the world. Mm -hmm. And so getting to see how hospitality and kindness um, and patience are still just so present in total strangers that live in the mountains of Africa. Yeah, that's awesome. And I've never been outside the country. So like I have never been able to experience that myself. I've seen it in people who are different from me where I live now, like where I live in the U.S. and like where I have traveled in the U.S. But it's cool to uh, also get to learn these things from you and from other people who have had these experiences and can share of the faithfulness of the Lord and can share about his people um, everywhere. So that's awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. It's just seeing the universal church and the universal kind of nature of the Lord. That's just everywhere within people and within just his nature and his power. Just like in those pictures, just getting to see the mountains and how the Lord 
says that we can move mountains with our faith um, and just how he created them. And they just reflect his power and his awesomeness is just so cool. Yeah. I feel like we can just that perspective of seeing those mountains or being in what feels like an impossible situation and being able to experience the full power of the Lord in that situation and like the Lord knew exactly where Anita would be in Morocco. Like she knew what situation there would be and whether that man who listened to you was a believer or not, like it's still, we still hold aspects and like characteristics of God, our creator, you know? And so it's cool. Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you, what did you learn from this trip? I guess, whether it be in Spain or in Morocco, what did you learn? What did you take away from it? I think that I have two really big takeaways. The first one is I think a lot of people are just scared to travel. Um, just saying that it's not possible, you know, to come to go on some of these crazy trips. Um, I remember telling some people back home that I was going to Morocco and they totally thought I was joking because there's just such a fear of going into the unknown and doing things you haven't done before. Um, but honestly, I'm so drawn to that. And I think that there's such a beauty in getting to travel and getting the opportunity to so my first takeaway is just kind of an encouragement to you guys that like you can do it like go on the adventure go on the trip go on a budget like you can do it and it'll be awesome Um, my second big takeaway is probably I feel like that there's this big misconception about Africa and kind of it being dangerous which there are parts that are there are parts of everywhere in the world there are parts of America that are really dangerous but I think that I kind of had this preconceived notion of like, oh my gosh, like we're going to be on like death's doorstep while we're in Morocco. Like it's, we're risking a lot. Not that's a little dramatic, but I felt a little bit nervous about going. Right. But I just had the most incredible experience with getting to know some of these people that were so kind and so welcoming. Um, For example, I feel like there is kind of a stereotype of like when people in Africa are trying to sell you things and like trying to get your money and things like that. Um, especially if you're a tourist, but I had people coming up to me when I walked into the town square and shaking my hand and saying, hello, like I'm, this is my name. I'm from Chef Chow and I'm so proud to be from the city and I'm so excited that you're here. Like, please like know that you're so welcome. And then we just walk away and I'd be like, wow, wow, that's really cool. Like there was one instance where I was walking into the town square. It was the first time I had been in there, um, in Chef Chow and this man came up to us, and I was like, oh, no. Again, kind of that prejudice, that stereotype of, like, he's going to ask me for money. Mm-hmm. He's trying to get something from me. And he was like, hi, like, please come inside my shop. It's actually um, a school for women where we teach them how to sew and to make tapestries, make rugs, make towels so that they can provide for themselves and their families. Wow. Um, and if you want, like, you can come to my rooftop, and there's a view of the whole city. And I totally, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, he's totally about to try to scam me. Like, what's on the roof? Like, what's going to be up there? Yeah. And he literally just walked us up to the roof. And it was me and my friend Claire. And it was just this most breathtaking view of the city. And it was incredible. Um, wow. And then my second really cool story. This is my favorite story that I try to tell everybody. Is that we had walked up to this Spanish mosque where a lot of tourists go to watch the sunset. And there was this guy up there. And he was a street vendor. And he was kind of showing us the stuff that he had. And he started talking And he started talking about literally like the stock market crash, like philosophy, religion. He was Muslim and he was telling us about his religion um, and just telling us about all of these things about America, all these things about economics and philosophy and ethics. It was incredible. 
And we found out he was only 18. He had just finished taking his last exam that wow. day. And wow. he was making bracelets to provide for him and his family. And because he really wanted to travel and go to Southeast Asia is what he said. Wow. That's awesome. And then he ended up inviting us all to his house. And all of us, seven of us came and sat on their couches. And his mom came out and made us, um, it's called Moroccan whiskey, but it's just green tea because a lot of them don't drink alcohol. And so she made us all this green tea and all of us just sat up there, these Americans sitting in this 18-year-old Moroccan guy's house and just listening to his life story and them asking so many questions about us. And it was just the coolest, most hospitable thing. And it's like, why don't we do that? Yeah. Just take people in and invite people in like that. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, as you were describing those stories, I was like, wow, these people are so hospitable. How are you like wanting to implement that? into your life now like what what are you trying to do now that I guess kind of implements the culture that you experienced this summer well I think actually we've talked about this before uh -huh. um but our house we call it the coop because sometimes there's chickens pecking around our backyard it's true <laughs> and one of the things we've kind of been really wanting for our house is to make it a safe place for people and to make it a place where anyone can come mm -hmm. and it feels like home and feels like you are just able to be yourself and able to be free and able to either rejoice or to grieve or to be excited about things, kind of whatever you need. We just kind of want our house to be that safe space. And so I think that's one of the main things that I learned and wanted to take away is like making our home hospitable and having lots of big pillows and blankets and offering people tea. And I just think it's the sweetest thing when people call or text and be like, can I just come sit on your couch? Like, yeah. I had a really hard day. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, please. Like, that's what we want you to do. That's what yeah. we want to hear. Um, so I think that would probably be the main thing. It's cool because I feel like we've experienced both the, can I come sit on your couch? I just need to chill or like watch a TV show. Our TV show this semester has been <laughs> Vampire Diaries. Um, so good. But anyway, so like we have these friends who want to come and just like almost just chill, which is awesome. But also, like, we've had some pretty cool things, like, big things, too. So, like, we go to the University of Georgia, and, of course, we have an SEC football game every single Saturday in our backyard. And so, like, we've had tailgates for birthday parties or just tailgates just to invite people into our home. Um, and then, too, like, whether it's a Bible study or there's a Young Life, like, small group who comes and... It's just cool. It's been cool to implement that. And it's cool from Anita's experience of hospitality in Morocco. And I feel like I had a, a different experience of hospitality. Um, I worked at a church in Texas this summer and people there were so hospitable, the most generous people I've ever met. And it's cool to take both of those experiences that we had this summer and kind of combine it, which has been really fun. Yeah, no, it was definitely really cool to hear Mara's side of how she experienced that hospitality in the United States and then kind of getting to share my experience in Morocco. I hate to bring it to a close, but it's been so much fun. Anita, I'm so glad that you were able to be on here. Um, if you guys are interested in hearing more of Anita's stories and just her experiences, go check out her Instagram as well as her blog. Yeah, guys, my Instagram is Anita Bell Blogs, and then my blog website is www.anitabellblogs. It's A-N-I-T-A-B-E-L-L-E-blogs.com. It's awesome. It truly is awesome. You can subscribe, too, which is great. I love getting those emails in my inbox. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anita, thank you again. It's been so much fun, and I'll see you at home. <laughs> thank you so much, Mara. This has been so much fun. I'm so excited for your podcast to be coming to life. So awesome. Thank you so much, you guys. Guys, thank you so much for listening to the first official episode of 1,000 Words. I'm so glad that you could be here. Again, check out the podcast link in my Instagram. My Instagram is at 1000words.podcast, and the link is in the bio. And you can listen to all the episodes and stay updated. Thanks again for being here. Bye.